Welcome to Between the Vines. Uh, I'm here with you again this week. I am Kevin Martin here with Andy Musa. This is our special uh, Musings with Musa. Um, I did this as an excuse so I could get to talk to Andy a little bit more before he before he retired and I, I don't have a chance to talk to him anymore. This, this isn't really for you guys or the valuable information. I just, <laughs> we're going to have a colleague that we miss and I'm not going to be able to talk to him anymore. And uh, going to do a little extra now. So we've been doing this three weeks now. So I, I get to do this every week so far. And hopefully I've talked Andy into doing it most of the weeks until he retires. I think probably, you know, if, it, it did snow a little bit yesterday. I don't know if it did by you, Andy. Um, but if it ever stops snowing and things grow, he's probably going to get too busy to do this every week. So we're going to do this as many times as we can. Um, last week, we talked about Phomopsis and black rot, and we were really kind of focused on scouting for those diseases. And that's been a big part of Andy's career. Uh, even before he was part of Extension. We talked about that last week, but we talked so much about it that we really didn't get to uh, powdery or downy mildew. I don't know how we didn't get to powdery because that's that's kind of the thing that everybody should really be focused on in Concord anyway. Um, so we're going to talk in the same way a little bit about powder, powdery and downy mildew this week. Um, and Andy, just to refresh your recollection, um, one of the things I tried to get you to do, and I know you're a little reluctant because we don't have pictures here, or we don't want to rely on pictures, I should say, because this is primarily an audio thing. But the pictures are out there. You shared a bunch of great resources, um, and you can remind listeners who missed last week what those resources are. But what what are the distinct characteristics of powdery? And I think, why don't we start with wherever it shows up first? If you're going out to look for it, um, whether it's it's on a petiole or a leaf or a, a berry, um, where does it show up first and what are the distinct characteristics of what it looks like? Well, with powdery, again, it, it's going to depend on um, what varieties you have. So if you have, you know, vinifera or a highly susceptible uh, hybrids, then again, that's going to depend on usually by three to five inch stage for those uh, vinifera or um, highly susceptible uh, hybrids. Um, however, if you look in our guide, um, you know, vinifera, you may even have to start as early as the one inch stage, they suggest. If, if you have uh, high inoculum levels from the previous season. So if you had bad powdery you know uh, going into harvest and you've got a vinifera variety and the weather conditions are right and it's usually for powdery a uh, tenth of an inch of rain and, and 50 degrees or more is when that primary inoculum those ascospores can be released so what will happen is the the um, overwintering bodies of um, powdery mildew are are these tiny black pinpoint uh, overwintering structures are called chasmathesia, okay? They used to be called cleistothesia, but the pathologist changed it. And, uh, and that might not be interesting to a grower, but- I don't know, there's go, gotta be a story there, but go on. pathologist go on. it is. <laughs> so I would just say black pimple-like structures and they overwinter on the bark, um, of, on the canes. 
and then when you get that in the early season, you you get that you know tenth of an inch of rain and over fifty degrees release from those chasmothecia, those overwintering structures are are the primary inoculum, which are ascospores. Okay, and then that begins. That's the primary cycle, and then from there they they infect the leaves, and you can have continual cycles of powdery mildew occurring then throughout the season and then you get the secondary that's the, the spores which are canidia so it goes throughout the summer yeah andy so, i'm going to jump in and i'm going to ask a question i know the answer to and a question i don't know the answer to and maybe you can guess which is which but you said a tenth of an inch of rain and uh above 50 degrees is when is, an, inf which an is infection could possibly occur right. uh, occur um, what happens if that happens in February, you know, before three inches, does it happen or what, what, what would a grower be looking at? No, that, that, that's a good question really. But, but, you know, I mean, we generally don't get that type of, you know, uh, conditions, uh, during the winter, you might get a 50 degree day or something like that. Um, but you know, if it did happen, and, and I don't know if they even um, uh, check for spores then. Uh, they do have spore traps, you know, uh, pathologists will put out uh, and, and they monitor some diseases that way. Um, I don't know if that actually that's been done, but we really don't care because there's nothing to infect at that time. Right. Okay. And, you know, potentially maybe, maybe some, some release could occur. But you're not going to get, you know, all of the spores. It's not like, boom, as soon as that hits, all the spores are released at that time. Right. Okay. It's just those conditions that have to be reached um, before any type of spore is released from powdery. So, you know, even if it did occur, uh, you know. Nothing to infect. Nothing right. to infect. Yeah. So, so, so the next question, the... Um, you know, scouting for sort of the blackheads on the wood, is that, I mean, do you do that in vinifera or do you do it in Concord for the purposes of um, trying to figure out what your inoculum levels are or do you just do it to see that it's there? I wouldn't say you'd scout for the, um, for the uh, chasmothecia, the little black dots. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say go by the fact that, um, what your powdery mildew levels were the season before and you know and especially like i said uh if you have the really susceptible uh varieties hybrid, I got you. Uh, certain okay. hybrids and vinifera so yeah i i wouldn't suggest that growers but you know if it's bad enough you could actually see why you're trimming you know um and, and then sometimes i've seen before like um reddish blotches uh it's a little hard to describe but that that are actually um from powdery mildew that maybe was killed on the on the shoots and then then the canes harden off and and you can still sort of see that um uh, from old powdery mildew that was dead but but again that's not what i would scout for it's it just i would think too too difficult for a grower to do so I would just go by the fact that um, you're out there scouting regularly anyway, but um, how bad powdery mildew was the season before, because that means that 
you know, if it's really bad, that means your inoculum levels are going to be high. And that's, that's with really any disease. Um, if you've had it uh, previous season, uh, I look at diseases a lot of times, not from a year to year basis. And I think growers should look at it as over a few, uh, a couple of years, because at least the, the following year where you had it hot, um, bad disease, you know, your chances are you're going to have, well, you are going to have it, you know, uh, chances for it to be bad the following season. So I, I kind of go for a couple of years in a row. And the reason I mention that is, is for like something like Fomopsis, maybe in that wood for a couple of years before, you know, um, before uh, you don't have to worry about it any, anymore. So that's one of the diseases, Fomopsis, where, you know, that could stay in those uh, uh, canes for, you know, quite a few years. And, uh, but, but at least look at it at least over a two-year period. Um, look at the previous year, what your disease levels were. And then, you know, in those blocks where you had that certain disease like powdery or downy, um, you can be assured that you better really keep an eye on those blocks because inoculum levels are high. And a lot of times our environmental conditions, like I said, when you, you say a 10th of an inch of rain at 50 degrees, you know, we always get that in the spring. Right. So it's not something like, oh, you know, we're going to get through this because we're not going to reach those levels. We all, we always have that environmental conditions. Um, so again, with the vinifera, uh, if it's really bad, susceptible variety, high inoculum levels, those, those environmental conditions are right. Uh, as early as an, an inch, but with the niferas, uh, definitely by the three to five inch stage, I would, um, uh, start putting on a spray. Right. And then certainly with the nephra, you're just going to continue to spray for a little while there. Yes. And pretty much through the season for vinifera. And the reason is because, you know, um, even though you get past uh, the fruit susceptibility period, you still have to worry about those uh, leaves being infected. And, um, you know, and, and since they're highly susceptible, you can get, you know, very bad um, leaf infections, which can cause, uh, if it's bad enough, premature leaf drop. So yeah, with vinifera, you pretty much have to uh, go through the season and make sure that your um, powdery mildew is uh, is controlled. Right. So in the like lake, that, right. So in the Lake Erie region, like you said, we're always at fifty degrees with a tenth of an inch of rain. So vinifera are vulnerable enough. So you're spraying essentially constantly, uh, you know, with regular intervals, I should say, not constantly. Right. Um, are you scouting after bloom? Is that when you really focus on scouting and vinifera to sort of select chemicals and, and make a strategy for what's working? Or if you need to push, you know, based on what, I mean, are you relying on weather or, or scouting or a combination of both? Or is it? Um, well, if you're, Discussing diseases, um, really, we, we look at what the pathologists call disease triangle. So you have to have uh, the three uh, three points in the triangle. You have to have a host, which would be grapes. Um, in our case, you'd have to have uh, the inoculum, the, the disease inoculum, and then you would have to have the environmental conditions. 
So those are the three factors that in that disease triangle. Now, when you go back to the host, uh, again, that's going to depend on the susceptibility of the host to that disease. So that's why when we say vinifera, they're highly susceptible and certain uh, hybrids are. Whereas with, with powdery mildew, Concord is not nearly as susceptible to that. So, um, and, and viniferas, unfortunately, are highly susceptible to, <laughs> you know, vinifera and the down, yeah, vinifera and the downy. Um, so host susceptibility is important. Um, and then how much inoculum? That's why I said, you know, if you had it bad the year before, you're going to have high inoculum levels. So the amount of inoculum you have uh, and then the environmental conditions. So if you have the correct environmental conditions, some of these diseases like powdery and downy can really take off. And so, you know, with powdery mildew, what you're looking at is, again, your initial 10th of an inch rain, 50 degrees to get the primary going. And then uh, if you have a hot, dry season, you know, your, your levels should be lower because, you know, Wayne Wilcox did a lot of work with his grad students on um, UV light and how sunlight affects powdery mildew and it will, will kill powdery mildew. So if you have a real hot, sunny um, season, low humidity levels, then you're going to have a lot less powdery mildew. Um, you have periods of, uh, if we have a season that's, um, you know, rainier, uh, cloudy, uh, that, that way you're going to have higher humidity levels. Uh, you're going to not have as much UV light because you're not going to have as much sun. So those are the years where, you know, you're likely to get more powdery mildew. Um, the other thing is if you have very dense canopies, uh, inside there, your microclimate is a lot more humid. So it's more conducive for the, um, for the disease organism, which is powdery that we're talking about. So, uh, you know, other things would be a lot of times uh, areas that are um, shaded longer, like border rows near woods that are shaded longer in the day than towards the center of the um, vineyard. That's going to um, be areas where you're more likely to have more powdery mildew. And again, it's because of the, um, you know, less sunlight, yes, less UV light. Right. So, so particularly with Concords, and I think partially because there's a tendency um, to be in the vineyard a little bit less if you're a Concord grower, uh, just because, um, at least in this region, you have more acres and less people per acre. So, so it, it's a function of um, you know, we don't do any canopy management, so you're not there for that reason. You're just not there, and you're doing a lot of other stuff that involves driving five miles an hour. So, you know, I think what I've seen in some of the years you're describing is theoretically, um, if crop size isn't high, if you and, and a quality material is applied on the first post-bloom cover spray, you could theoretically be done. Um, we haven't seen a lot of growers take that risk because grape prices are high and we've strung together a series of years of high crops and, you know, the weather never works out the way it should. Um, 
But we have certainly seen examples of sort of quasi-abandoned vineyards that end up with not much powdery in certain years. Um, so, you know, I think if you're going to try to save on a cover spray in Concord, maybe you certainly might want to try to avoid a, a third cover spray, you know, a third post-bloom. Scouting is going to be where you turn to do that. Um, what what would you look for on the leaves and when would you start looking? Well, before you go to that, okay, <laughs> and I know, um, but before we start talking about- You've got time. Again, before we start talking about that specifically, um, you mentioned, you know, they don't do, um, say, cultural practices as much as, say, the, the vinifer growers. Um, but cultural practices are extremely important in, in managing any disease. So that's Did I say, I don't think I said cultural practices. You, you said they don't do canopy management. Canopy so they're not management. in their leaf pulling or right. shoot and positioning. That would be a cultural There's... practice. Uh, okay. Leaf, yeah. Leaf thinning and pulling and things like that. So, so they're yeah. not there for another reason sometimes. Sometimes a Concord grower has to go out to his vineyard to scout just to scout. Right. Right. And they should. And they should be. But, yeah. but the cultural practices in, in any disease management are extremely important. I like to mention those first because, you know, a lot of times uh, growers may just think spraying first. You know what I mean? That, that's what comes to mind. Cultural practices is as much as you can open up that canopy, um, you get that good air circulation, uh, the, the canopy dries off quicker. Um, all those uh, sunlight gets into the, into the um, canopy better when you do those cultural practices. So um, that's where the vinifera and, and these uh, French hybrid growers, uh, you know, should really pay attention to that. Now, we don't do as much as that, like you said, in the Concords. And the, the other problem is we, the Concord canopies are so heavy. But, you know, one of the things you, you might be able to do is, you know, cut back on your nitrogen in, in some of these Concord vineyards, especially if you have these really big canopies and you know our guys a lot of times don't like to you know uh, when you mention to them that you know you can cut back or even in some years there's been growers that you know and I'm not going to mention any names that that for years they didn't put any nitrogen because they had a, a good organic matter they had good growth so they didn't have to put on any nitrogen even in the concord you you mentioned that to a concord grower and they a lot of the guys I talk to, they just, they don't like that idea at all. Yeah, I, what do you mean? I mean, you're making me a little nervous too, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not saying that. But, but I think you that. identify a, an important issue, whether, whether I'm fully buying into it or not, is just that we in the Concord industry have evolved to increase the health and the size of our canopy. Um, and we have done that specifically to try to get larger crops. So the, the idea that we, you know, that a Concord isn't susceptible to powdery because it's a Concord is a very different idea today compared to 40 years ago, because you could probably grow an organic Concord other than maybe black rot on you know, if it was a one pound vine 
on a forearm Niffin with excellent airflow, you're going to look at powdery and say, that's no big deal. I'll get some on the leaves and I only have three ton of the acre. Who cares? So in right. the other, so in the extreme, you actually want to put yourself in a position to be fighting powdery because it means you have a big enough canopy to have a big crop that you need in this era of Concord production. That's not to say that your other point isn't wrong in that there's a whole bunch of research that indicates that um, more nitrogen or or maybe I should say less nitrogen doesn't always mean a smaller canopy. That's usually not what is holding our Concord vineyards back. Right. Um, that's probably a separate issue from, from powdery. Um, but I would say um, I have seen one vineyard that could not control disease because of its canopy management. And it was a vineyard that probably didn't have the right type of sprayer and was minimally pruned for 20 or 30 years with no hand follow-up. And so they got to a point where they could not control. There was no vine separation cuts. So all the vines were overlapping. They could not control disease um, in an economical way. But for the most part, I think as growers continue to try to evolve and have larger canopies, it's just really important to be cognizant of the fact that things like powdery are going to be more difficult to control and they need to do different things to control them and not continue to operate. However, they were operating 10 years before. I know a lot of people might not even remember controlling powder in forearm Niffin because that's what their dads did when they were kids at this point. It's been a while for some farms since then, but we've evolved in the last 10 or 15 years just with canopy size and, and leaf size. So, so these things have to continue to evolve. And if we were talking about mechanization and changing the structure of the canopy so it's more dense, then certainly they have to continue to evolve probably faster. So I, I don't necessarily want to encourage Concord growers to have a smaller vine. Um, no, it, it, well, but, but, but you do want to be aware that it's going to make it more difficult and right. you have to react. Well, and, and, you know, just because you're talking, you know, the fact that you're not, nitrogen isn't the only thing that will restrict your, your canopy size, okay? Not and a lot of times growers think that. They'll say, oh, I've got a small canopy or smaller than I'd like, so I'm going to just pump on more nitrogen. I think that's, that a lot of growers that I've talked to, that's the first thing they say. And that's not necessarily true. You know, you could have, uh, you know, no, oh, totally agree. It's usually the last thing that's the problem. Right. right. So that's what I was sort of getting at when we're talking about something that a, a Concord grower could do, that if you've got good canopy size and, you know, you might have really good organic matter. And I, I know growers that, that tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, have really good organic matter, and, but they're still dumping on a lot of nitrogen, you know, more than the 50, more than 50 pounds. And, you know, there's 75 to 100 still. And it's like, well, you know, just cut back. I think a lot of times the guys go to the nitrogen. And that's what I was talking about with canopy management for Concord, something that they could do. Check your canopy size. Um, and if, if it's good, then, you know, you might be able to cut back on if, if you're up to 100 pounds or 75 pounds of actual. Uh, you can cut back to the 50. Um, so I wasn't, again, I wasn't 
telling growers to don't use nitrogen. But you did bring up a good point as far as, you know, we have bigger canopies now, and we also are, are having higher crop levels. So really when we're talking about concords and powdery, again, um, you know, and this is, uh, again, Wayne, uh, Wayne Wilcox did uh, research on this, that really it's the years that you have high crop size, it's uh, environmentally, say, cloudy and rainy, like we talked about for, for powdery. So you don't have the sunlight, so that's not going to ripen the crop. It's a heavy crop, and it's a heavy canopy. So um, that's when in Concords, you know, it's been shown to that powdery really can cause economic um, losses. Um, if you have, uh, you know, a moderate size crop or a low crop, which most of our growers don't have now, hopefully, but, you know, uh, and you have powdery mildew, really the economic um, losses haven't been shown in those situations with powdery and concord, I'm talking. On the leaves, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and again, um, you know, if you've got it that bad on the leaves, you probably haven't done a good job early on uh, and for the clusters. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, we're here to talk about scouting, but in reality, no. <laughs> especially with Concord, you're not at first. I mean, it doesn't matter what you see out in the vineyard, I think is what you're trying to say, right? You're still going to put on a really nice pre-bloom spray for powdery mildew. Right. It doesn't matter what you right. see. And, and again, um, if you've been doing a good job and, and you, your inoculum levels aren't high from the previous season, um, you know, definitely by the immediate pre-bloom, you're going to be putting that the immediate pre-bloom to the first post-bloom. Again, we talked about this a lot are when the berries are probably immediate pre-bloom through say, say fruit set um, are most susceptible to powdery mildew. You know, if you have a good program on during that time, you don't stretch your intervals, um, you should be good with powdery mildew on the clusters. And then it's uh, sort of, that's when really the scouting would come in and say, hey, how did my spray program do? And if you're out there that, hey, I'm starting to see a lot on the leaves, um, you won't have to worry about, say, on the berries because you're, you're past that susceptibility period. But you still will have to worry about it on the leaves, again, if you have a real high crop, heavy crop, and especially if it's, it's um, the season's conducive, cloudy, cloudy weather throughout the season, not good ripening weather all those conditions, then you definitely have to worry. So you're, you should be out there scouting and saying, hey, um, how did my spro spray program do? Um, and how much powdery do I have on the leaves? So, and, and when you're out there looking, again, um, with Concords, uh, Niagara's, you, you really, it's on the upper leaf surface is where you're going to get, um, where you're going to look for the powdery. Okay, and it's sort of like a, almost, it's a grayish, uh, almost like a talcum powder is, is what, what it'll look like. Um, usually you see small patches of it. And then uh, as the season goes through, you know, these colonies get bigger and bigger um, if, if you're not uh, spraying. So, 
Uh, now, some varieties, again, um, you'll see it on both the, the upper surface and the lower surface. So, you know, some vinifera varieties, um, I, I do a Delaware vineyard and, you know, you, you have it on both the top and the bottom. But Concords, uh, you're just going to see it on the top. Now, you know, they're very hairy on the bottom anyway, so it'd be difficult to see if, if it was on the bottom. So in Concord, you just really look at the upper leaf surface. So um, one of the things I've seen growers bring in um, that might trip up a new grower a little bit is, you know, if they were using an eradicant, um, which, what might that be? Like neutral in a Concord vineyard or, um, I don't know, help me out here. You're the spray something, guy. Yeah, something neutral. like that. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if they killed some powdery mildew, instead of that light gray on the leaf surface, might it look a little different? Yeah, it, it's it's sort of a um, a whitish uh, whitish to grayish uh, when it's a lot. When it's killed, it's sort of like uh, a darker gray patch, darker gray, um, and more. Uh, again, it's it's hard to describe, like flattened. Or whatever, but it, but it's a darker gray. It'll still be there. You're not going to get rid of it, you know, because you've killed the fungus. But that's not going to just then disappear. So you're going to see those those gray, darker, grayer areas. Whereas yeah. when it's alive, it's it's um uh, a more whitish, I would say. Yeah, and so you might see a little bit more of that in vinifera since you're probably always tank mixing something like sulfur. Um, right. And, you know, if, if there is any, if there's a slip in your program, um, then, then obviously that sulfur is going to provide some kill and uh, then you might, so you might see a little more of it, but I think with Concord growers, you know, sometimes things are just clean enough. They don't see a lot of powdery, so they're not used to seeing dead powdery and it might look like a different disease. Right. And then later in the season, a lot of times, you know, um, because they've sprayed but but even as as the season gets closer to harvest some of that powdery may you know may die you know again because you know it's had longer to it's easier to see later in the season just because it's had a longer period to grow and then you know they've been spraying throughout the season and it just may start to die or senesce itself okay. so What about on berries? When would you start to see it? I've seen it, and it's not as usual, um, this, but I've seen it, in fact, this past season, um, as early as on the um, flower clusters. I mean, uh, you know, it, and again, uh, you don't see as much of it, and it's not as easy to see, but I have seen it uh certain seasons enough that it catches your eye that it's like wow you know as early as um uh pre-bloom uh on the flower clusters Uh, and then then that to me is really uh an indication that boy you better you know you better make sure that your immediate pre and post are top notch 
because if you have it then and that early and you're, you're picking it up because it's not as easy to pick up on those. So, uh, and it looks the same. It, it, it looks at the grayish powdery um, look the same, the same as it is sort of on the leaves. So really the complete opposite of say black rot, which can take weeks to show up. If it, it, you're going to see it shortly after you had the infection, whether that's pre bloom or post bloom. Well, you can get, uh, if the conditions are right, you can go from infection to spore production in five to seven days. Right. So with, you're not going to have to wait long at all right. to see that you've got you're a not happen. And like I said, if, if you're picking it up on the flower clusters, because it's not easy to do, and you can start picking it up as a grower, um, that means it's there's quite a bit there. Yeah. And, and you know, I, actually... As I was saying that, I started thinking about what I was saying, and I did not mean that as a like comforting thought, like you get to see the problem soon, so you'll be able to fix it, because right. it's, it's not an easy problem to fix once you see it. So that wasn't intentionally meant to be comforting, just that that's when you'll start to see it. Because right. well, and, and really, the, the, the easiest time to see it, uh, and the most noticeable of the growers doing it is, you know, you, you go in there and you lift up the canopy and look right at the berries and you'll see um, right after the post bloom as they, as they start to set, maybe, a, maybe a, a little less, maybe BB size, a little bit bigger than BB size. You'll start seeing that whitish growth. Um, and a lot of times it's right near the uh, pedestal. You'll see, uh, the berry attached to the pedestal and you'll see it right around there or the whole berry may be, be covered. But that's about, that's when it's, it really will hit you that early. So um, I would say a grower that maybe not hasn't been out there as much as I have, that's when it'll, it'll start to hit your eye if, when you're out there. And the other thing is, you got to be out there scouting, but you're going to be putting on that immediate pre and that immediate post um, regardless. So um, at that time, between those sprays and, and after that spray, again, if you go out there to scout, then you can get an idea too. okay, how good was my program um, putting that on? Right. Uh, did it work or didn't it? Um, and then what's going to be, that could also be an indicator as to, you know, what about my second post bloom? So I, I would say for Concords, again, in general, I would say if you really had a bad problem, you know, some Concord growers might even want to put something on at the 10 inch, you know, yeah. but generally the immediate pre through I would say the second post bloom, and, and really, if, if Concord growers go from, you know, start with say three to five inch for Phomopsis, and then depending about that ten inch or whatever, uh, some guys would do it, some wouldn't, but uh, possibly the ten inch if you needed it, the immediate pre, and then through the second post bloom, you should be for Concords pretty, pretty good for the rest of the season um, in most years, in most cases, 
if again, if you've been keeping up on a yearly basis. Uh, so that would be at the most one fungicide sprays, one, two, three, four, five, possibly, you know, four. That that would be a, like a Cadillac program for a Concord grower. You're saying five for powdery would be a Cadillac or just five total? Um, I would say five total. So you're um, saying probably three to four for powdery. Yes. Got yep. three. One, if it's really bad. Look, okay. Now let me, let me, post. let me, um, <laughs> let me sort of say this. So then at, after that second post bloom, then you're out there scouting and it's going to depend on, um, again, the environmental conditions uh, and crop size, things like that. Then you're out there scouting to see, okay, are these diseases, you know, can I still find them? Are they bad enough that I may need to spray, say, another time for a specific disease, depending on which ones you're finding? Um, so I'm not saying that that's it, because in some seasons, it may not be. It. Sure. You know, but you still should be out there. But right. if you have, you keep your intervals tight and you have that four to five sprays on, you should be pretty good through if you're looking at Concord, your all your major diseases, your Phomopsis, black rot, downy, and powdery. Um, now downy can come in later in the season. Um, but with Concords, again, if you're you've gone through those through the second post bloom, Concord is not as susceptible as even Niagara's or Catawba's. So I would say most years uh, in Concord, you're, you're going to be pretty darn good. But again, when you talk five sprays, four to five sprays, a lot of Concord guys don't want to do that. But in today's economic situation, that could be tough. But if you also look at the higher yields, um, uh, the canopy size, things like that, um, four to five is not not that extensive when you look at other crops. Even look at vinifera. I mean, vinifera guys are spraying, you know, a lot more. So if you look at it that way, um, you know, it's it's not that bad. Now, this is where I, I say defer to you and 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 say economically, how do you feel about? Because really the amount of cost for, for spraying isn't nearly as much as cost for other things in the vineyard. So for the economic return, it, it really isn't that bad, but a grower might look at right away. Oh, it's going to cost me this much an acre. That's a lot. So I'm going to yeah. cut out a spray. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think the temptation is there to try to reduce the number of trips through the vineyard. What I would say when prices are high, especially if yields look like they're going to be high too, which is a little bit unknown when a lot of the important sprays happen, but um, when prices are high and yields look like they could be high, most of the industry is, is very um, cognizant of the investment in spraying and they're very interested in, in um, 
including a lot of materials in the tank. So what we've seen in the last five years, because we've seen a pattern of higher yields, um, not a lot of freezer frost damage in the last you know five or even 10 years, um, we've seen sort of you know two pre-bloom sprays has become a standard. And that first one is around the 10 inch stage and there's often something in it for powdery, even if they might not need it, because if they're already there, they're going to do it anyway. And I, I understand that sort of the economic incentives sometimes run afoul IPM, because the other thing you'll see is that fifth spray or potentially the fourth spray, um, the second post bloom spray often has something for powdery, whether it needs it or not, because they need to spray because they have something like grape berry moth. Right, right. Um, so the yeah. hardest, the most difficult spray is really the three inch spray because you're only there for Phomopsis. And if they can get away with controlling Phomopsis without that spray, um, then they win. Now, if they can't, they, they can lose pretty big. But I think it's very clear that that is a very important spray from an economic perspective if you need it. And nobody can tell you if you need it. So growers roll the dice sometimes. Right. Right. Um, because, you know, you can put on that three inch spray and get 10 days of sunshine. Right. It, it's happened. And right. then we know that you wasted, um, you know, $6 an acre in material and the time and cost of applying it um, that year. And then in the next year, you get you know, ridiculous weather that's awful. And not only do you get, say, 10 days of protection, you need more protection because awful weather means everything progressed more slowly. So you're still not even at 10 inches anyway. And, right. <laughs> right. and, and that, that's like you said, that's the, the crapshoot. That's, yeah, that's because, where you're rolling the dice. Like you said, if you get that crappy weather, then they stay at that three, four inch stage for a while. You know? Right. Whereas you get that sunny, they blow right through that. And it's like, wow, you know, but again, how do you know that? that that's just it. It, it. It's that's why, you know, again, um, and I'll put a plug in for the newest systems or at least just watching the weather, you know, uh, watch that weather. If, if you're going to take that risk, really watch that weather close and, and, you know, uh, see if they're, they're calling for say rain, you know, in the next couple of days or whatever, um, or, or again, it's tough, but, you know, I don't know what else to say there. Uh, I guess a good part is, you know, you're using, uh, it might not be as expensive as some of these other materials. I know growers are going at that point, you know, every other row and stuff like that. Uh, some guys, every three rows or whatever. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, but most guys, you know, every other row, which I can see, you know, that they're doing that they don't want to go every row uh, i know andrew landers and, and wayne did do a study that again if you did every row that's it worked. got the best control right but and then again it goes back to inoculum levels um i would definitely wouldn't take that risk if you know you've got a block that the previous year had a lot of inoculum well, previous couple years had a lot of inoculum i wouldn't take that risk um but like you said, uh, that's up again, up to the grower. Yeah. But yeah, I think the point still stands. I think 
unless I'm misreading the industry, is there the focus is mostly right now because of the price and the historical yields. Is the focus is really on saving trips through the vineyard, right? Um, which I can appreciate because if you're relying on labor, it's just not there. And the focus is not necessarily on saving on the cost of materials in in fungicides. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, and I'm sure I am wrong. There's some grower out there trying to spend, you know, $50 a year on all of his fungicide sprays. Uh, but, but for the most part, in terms of where the industry has been headed and has been um, progressing, I think that's where it's at. So it, it does kind of run afoul IPM a little bit because there's that temptation to say, spend an extra six, $10 an acre um, or, you know, less or more, depending on the material, to, to just add another material and make sure you're covering all your diseases. And, you know, that's going to be a very difficult thing to, for a grower to avoid um, the temptation to do that because they're already there spraying. But um, yeah, and diseases are, are a little bit different than, than insects. Um, the mindset with diseases should be preventative. Okay. And then coupling that with, okay, um, the right times to spray. So, like I said, if you're, if you're talking clusters, you know, that immediate pre to post are absolutely necessary and really going through the second post. Um, so you're going to be putting on those regardless of whether you're out there scouting or whether you're out there and you know, you're going to get this, you, you have disease or not. There's those sprays are definite. I mean, that, that's what they should be. So, yeah, I, I understand with growers putting other materials in um, because it's like an insurance policy uh, and they're going through, you know, any, any way. Um, so with your IPM, you're scouting again, uh, you're already putting those sprays in and really later in the season, you should be out there to be deciding with your scouting, whether or not I should be adding additional sprays. So really, right. if you're, if you're thinking, contrary to IPM, that's where it would make, say to a grower, the most sense. You're out there scouting, seeing if your program worked for your diseases, and then deciding rather than just going on a schedule and continue spraying, um, do I need it or not? And that's why you're out there looking. Now, again, with vinifera growers, it's a, it's a different, if it's a different story, because you're going to have to be out there spraying you know throughout the season yeah you know the one thing i would say that i've seen in the past is um i think it's one thing to be tempted to say put a tebuconazole in your second post bloom spray because it's time to spray um for berry moth but it's another thing and a mistake a lot of times all the time um to try to stretch that interval so that you can cover um, the insect, the insect, and the disease in the same spray in the first post bloom spray. That's not to say that it's never happened where you have the right weather conditions so that it just happens to be at the same time. But that stretching that second post bloom spray time and time again has led to failure in research and commercial vineyards. Um, it's a very tempting thing to do. It's a thing the industry does. 
I don't think you can scout your way out of it. I think it, you're still in that window with powdery. Uh, as much as this was supposed to be a podcast about scouting, I do think we covered that. In talking about scouting, you know, you've got to talk about what it can do and what it can't do. And it can't, even in Concords, allow you to stretch that first post-bloom spray interval. No, you sh you shouldn't. I mean, you you even even the immediate pre to the first post, you shouldn't be. That's yeah, that's the window that gets stretched. Right, right, and and that is like you said, a definite uh, a definite no no where growers get caught. In fact, um, I know Brian Head, uh, he had two side by side blocks, and and I don't think it was even part of his uh, a study that he was doing. But what happened is one went to I think. Um, 11 or 12 days um, the immediate pre to the first post and then because of the weather or or things that were going on with with other blocks this other one didn't get it till I think 16 or 17 days and you know it, it was wasn't 17 it that. wasn't it was not 17 days it might have been 15 or 16 I don't, I don't remember. It wasn't, but all I'm saying is I remember him describing that. It might have been 15. And they yeah. didn't stretch it much. Okay. And, <laughs> and and there was a huge difference between, yeah. you know, on the on the clusters. So, you know, that there is a is a point that goes to show you that that like you said, stretching that interval is, you know, really dangerous. It's dicey. Yeah. And again, I would say with something like that, um, depending on the environmental conditions um, when we talk about stretching, I would say now about um, compressing those day intervals and maybe only go to 10 if the weather's right. You know, if it's a wet and stuff like that, you know, don't go to the 14 during that time period, 14 is the max. I mean, that's the max that, that I would, even in a, even in, you know, if it's a hot, dry season, I wouldn't stretch it to 14, but if it's, wetter and stuff like that, I'd, I'd um, bump it back to 10. Yeah. And I do think, I, I actually think there are a lot of growers out there. You need to be really cognizant of what your limitations are. Um, right. And a research vineyard, they may have a single or a two row sprayer for 15 to 30 acres of grapes. There are no limitations. If, if it's a day you can spray, you can spray the whole farm and sometimes on a research vineyard and a commercial Concord vineyard. You really need to understand what it takes. And I know you guys do. Like, I know our growers understand that they, that they have to sit in the tractor for three days or for a week to cover their grapes. Um, obviously, they understand that. But keep that in mind when you start thinking about your spray intervals. Because, you know, if you start at 10 days and and you had a truncated, like, you know, your so. So you do your immediate pre-bloom, your ground speed might be faster, the amount of water you use might be less, everything went faster. And now you do your post-bloom, the material is more annoying, maybe it's Xyram, so it's taking you longer to fill your tank. Um, it's, uh, more it's more water per acre maybe. Uh, and then you add in another day of rain or two, and all of a sudden you started at 12 days to keep your 14-day interval, and by the time you finished, you're at 17. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in cases where it takes you more than three days to spray, uh, you should be looking at a 10-day interval 
just you can slow down. I mean, your your first day of spraying could be a 10 day interval. And if everything went well and it's going to be sunny, you can take a day off or you can spray eight hours instead of 12. You can do whatever you want, but that decreases your your vulnerability to an unexpected rain shower that delays you for a day of spraying or so and then stretches your intervals out. And that's, you know, you can't spray in the rain, but that's that's like the worst reason to stretch your intervals is and that's why it gets stretched sometimes is because it's raining. So so I'd rather see it early than late, I guess is is the point of that. And, well, yeah, uh, and that's a good point because you know when we're talking guys that you know it's great if you can get over your acre, acreage in a day but you know with the acreage we have now growers can't so again that's a management and like you said taking into account what you know could happen and that's a real good point the other thing is that's why it's important for scouting and building up a historical um a history of your blocks because then you'll know okay um I got to get this on, you know, between 10 to 14 days. Well, this block is, has really had high inoculum levels for this disease. So, you know, but these other blocks, boy, they, they were, you know, low disease pressure. So you start with, if you have that history, you know, where those blocks are, you start with those blocks. And then if you get those done and the rainy weather comes, it's your blocks that had the lower disease levels that are getting the stretched intervals. So it all comes into play as far as, you know, the building a history of your blocks, uh, doing it block by block, uh, doing the scouting so that you know where you have to spray first. Yeah. And hopefully you can rely on phenology for some of that too. You know, right. if, if, you know, unfortunately most of our growers drive around all over the place to, to get to their 150 acres because, you know, farms were a hundred acres, at least in the New York side, back in 1864 and they all got split up and now they're being repurposed. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of growers are able to manage those early sprays through differences in phenology. And then it just carries over to, to reasonable intervals later on. So hopefully that, that helps too. Um, but certainly I would take that advice to heart if, you know, because there are growers, it takes them six weeks or six, six weeks, six <laughs> days to cover their acreage. And, and in a case like that, you really got to be careful with with um, your intervals because you don't know what the weather is going to be like five days from now. Not with any certainty. Um, so that was a riveting discussion on downy mildew scouting. <laughs> Um, we're pretty much out of time. I did promise at the beginning we were going to cover Downey. We're going to squeeze Downey in with something else. I don't think we want to do a whole podcast on Downey. So, so we'll be back again next week with some more information and we will include Downey in that. Um, I'm not surprised at all. I, I, I knew this was going to be a problem as soon as we skipped powdery last week because powdery really does deserve a lot of attention. And if we can spend a whole podcast and a whole hour talking about black rot and phomopsis, then we knew that, you know, it was doomed to fail when we got to powdery because that was going to take some time. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if, if you know, this, this will be real helpful on the scouting as far as describing the the, the symptoms. I, I really don't. Um, but, you know, we're getting into conversations on management and, and, you know, what growers, you know, maybe shouldn't, shouldn't be doing, or should at least consider. And I knew that 
we'd sort of get sidetracked through this, but, but I like the discussion on back and forth because I think if, if growers listen to this, they, you know, they may get something out of it. Now, as far as the scouting symptoms, they probably won't. And I, I get sidetracked, but I kind of like the way we're getting sidetracked. Absolutely. I do too. I think it's, I do think it's useful or even more useful, but I, I would say not to sell short the scouting thing. I think some of our growers hopefully have heard and seen this information five or six times before, and they just might need a quick recollection from time to time about which disease, which looks like what as they're wandering through the vineyard. And if you haven't, um, you know, make sure you listen to all these podcasts and take a look at some of the references Andy has mentioned. And what I would recommend is, is sort of a pocket guide as you walk through the vineyard and you can listen to this podcast while you're doing that walk. Uh, and between the three, you know, between the, the audio reminder, walking you through what you're looking for and when you're looking for it and a pocket guide. So you can compare what, you know, the, the photography, the photography of the professional pathologist with what you're looking at. Um, hopefully you can get a good handle on what you're seeing and what you should expect to see when you do your, your disease scouting. And that pocket guide, there is that one out and it's, I uh, have to look to see the exact title, but um, Tim was involved with that and it came out of Michigan state. Tim Weigel was involved in that and Rufus Isaacs. And so it, it, it is a handy uh, guide that they can take into the vineyard. Uh, I mentioned the compendium of grape diseases and then uh, Cornell has a lot of, um, also has a lot of nice um, uh, disease, grape disease uh, fact sheets with color pictures that growers can, you know, download and copy off. And, you know, with those, they should have a, um, a good handle on what these different diseases look like. Yes. Um... And that is still on Michigan State's website. It's a pocket guide for IPM scouting, uh, I believe is what it's called. And they have one for grapes and other crops as well. So um, there's a whole list of different pocket guides. But, but you can purchase that if you need a pocket guide, uh, if you want something that you can carry with you from Michigan State. And um, the compendium is you know, going to be a great great resource for your, for your desk. Um, I think, you know, I think it all varies. I think, you know, we, we know we talk to a lot of different people in this industry and some people have been scouting for and looking at pottery mildew since they were seven. So, so it's going to be different for everybody in terms of what they need, but, but if you're really lost on what you're looking for, all just get all of the resources and then you'll be fine. And even in the, um, uh, New York and Pennsylvania pest management uh, guidelines. They, they don't have the colored pictures, but they have descriptions of, you know, they have information about the life cycle of the disease and description as what it's going to look like on the leaves and uh, clusters and things like that. So no color photos, but descriptions and then getting those other resources uh, and then looking at those and then getting out into the vineyard, you, you, you should be in good shape. Again, thank you very much, Andy. I appreciate you doing these these extra podcasts. This was another special Musings with Musa. Um, and this is Between the Vines. We will see you again next week or in a few weeks, depending on what's going on in the, in the, in the vineyard. But we will continue to do these. Uh, so we'll get one, one last uh, 
form of wisdom from Andy and uh, some great conversation as well. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.